Thanks, Helen. Hi, everyone. My name is Ming, and I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church. It's really glad to be, I'm really glad to be here with you all. I'd like to add my, my welcome to Ryan and Christine's. Uh, if you don't know me yet, don't be shy. Come say hi to me later. Uh, but I want to pray together, pray to God, uh, and commit this time over to God as we start our series in Revelation. Let's bow our heads and pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you that you have written to us, you have spoken to us through your word. Uh, and, and this book, Revelation, uh, is a really helpful book to help us work out how do, might we live for you and how might we live for your son Jesus and for his sake. Uh, so as we look at chapter 1 today, uh, might we see you for who you are, uh, our Lord and Savior, uh, through your son Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now I'm excited to uh, work our way through the book of Revelation, but the problem is you have to worry about any church that chooses to spend weeks on end in the book of Revelation. If you're new here, maybe today's your first time, welcome, really glad you could join us. You ought to be worried about us. <laughs> See, any church that preaches through the book of Revelation ought to make you nervous. Because frankly, Revelation for the last 2,000 years has been the playground of lunatics. Every fringe group of wacko, lunatic Christians has had their particular view of the book of Revelation, and they all talk about how it uncovers all the secrets of history, that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, and if you can get in on their great secret, all the mysteries of life will be unlocked for you. It's a book for lunatics. Now, if I'm being honest, part of the problem is that Revelation opens itself to that by being, frankly, bizarre. Let me show, a bit of, uh, show, show you a bit of that up on the screen in Revelation chapter 12. It's up on the screen. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she, as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. That's bizarre, isn't it? A baby-eating dragon? Did you ever expect the Bible would contain stories about baby-eating dragons? It's like Harry Potter on steroids, isn't it? You know... It's stuff like this, I reckon, that leads us to have two suspicions about the book of Revelation. Firstly, loads of people think that maybe Revelation is about different stuff to the rest of the Bible. Because, you know, the most of the Bible is pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's about how God created the world, and, and He's a good God. He's a giving God. But we've rebelled against Him, we've sinned, and deserve His punishment. So God sent Jesus Christ to die for us, rise and save us, and one day soon... Jesus is coming back. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. It's clear, it's straightforward, it's simple. But then we think, Revelation, oh, th that's different. Revelation is about baby-eating dragons and, and weird stuff. And it's especially about the end of the world. Armageddon. It's about that period of time in the distant future, the very end of the world. And then this feeds into our second suspicion, that the book of Revelation probably won't be very much help to me now, that it's irrelevant. I mean, it's, it's interesting, it's bizarre, it's, it's kind of fun to read, but it's not really going to help me to follow Jesus now. It's not going to help me to follow Jesus in my very ordinary day-to-day -day life. 
It won't help me to stop worrying about the endless number of deadlines and assignments around the corner or, or help me love that classmate who never contributes anything to our group projects. And if I'm not yet a Christian, my suspicion is that the book of Revelation isn't going to help me to make up my mind about Jesus because it's all that weird stuff in the future. You know, Revelation is kind of like your crazy old Uncle Ivan. You know, he's fun to sit down with at Christmas. It's entertaining to listen to his stories. But let's face it, you're not going to go to him for life advice, are you? That's our suspicion with the book of Revelation. But I want to say our suspicion is actually wrong. For a start, Revelation is not about different stuff to the rest of the Bible. You know, it may look weird, but what we're going to see over the next semester is that Revelation is really all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's about how Jesus is ruling over the world now and how we can live for him, love him, and serve him in our day-to-day lives. And so of all the books of the Bible, I can't think of a more helpful book for us to be studying right now for everyday life, one that's going to help you to make up your mind about Jesus and one that's going to help, you help us figure out how to love Jesus and how to live for Jesus for the rest of our lives. That is to say... Revelation may look like it's about baby-eating dragons, but what it's really about is Jesus, and it was written for you. So come with me to have a look at Revelation and what it's all about. It's up on the screen, Revelation 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Now, the entire first section of Revelation is designed to tell us what the book of Revelation is all about. And there are three big themes. Okay? Firstly, Revelation is all about Jesus. So right there from verse 1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' book to us. And Jesus' book, like the rest of the books of the Bible, are about himself. So quickly have a look down at verse 5. It's all about Jesus Christ up on the screen, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's what Revelation is all about. It's about Jesus who died to free us from our sins by his blood and who's been raised up and is the king of the whole universe. And isn't that what the book of Romans is all about? Isn't that what the book of Acts is all about? It's what the book of Ephesians, Matthew, Colossians, they're all about Jesus. See, if someone asks you, this crazy book, this book of Revelation, what's it all about? The answer is not the end of the world. The answer is not Satan, it's not the millennium, it's not Armageddon, the answer is Jesus. Now this is really going to help us when we reach the bits of Revelation that we don't understand. Because there are some really tricky sections to Revelation. There are some passages that are just going to leave us scratching our head thinking, what on earth is going on here? But the first key, and we'll keep coming back to this, is to remember that it's all about Jesus. And then when we hit the hard bits... Our instinct ought to be, well, Revelation is no different to the rest of the New Testament. And that's all about Jesus. So this bit I'm wrestling with, this bit I don't understand, our instinct ought to be, it's about Jesus, him dying, rising, and his return. 
So that's the first theme. It's all about Jesus. The second theme is that revelation is about time. So look again at verse 1. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Soon from when? Well, we know that it was soon after Jesus died on the cross and rose again to life. And then in verse 3, it goes on to say, Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Why? Because the time is near. See, Revelation is about time, but it's not about the distant future like most people think. No, it's about the near time. It's about now. You know, we saw that in verse 5 earlier. It said that Jesus has been raised from the dead and is now ruling over the kingdoms of the earth, right? And Revelation wants to answer the question, what comes next? Now that Jesus has died, now that Jesus has risen, what's next? What's going to happen between Jesus' resurrection and his return? Revelation is really interested in that question. And this is why we've called our series Between the Cross and the Throne. Because Revelation is all about time, the time between Jesus' cross, him ruling on his throne, and him coming back, his return. That is, Revelation is about now. So, it's about Jesus, it's about now, but it's also about us. And it's especially about our suffering. So have a look at verse 9, it's up on the screen. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. See, there are two sides to being a Christian. On the one side, it's about being part of the ultimate kingdom because Jesus has been raised from the dead and he's the king above all kings. And Revelation is going to keep showing us that incredible glory. Revelation is going to keep holding out this amazing future that we have eternally with Jesus if we keep trusting in him. But on the other side of being a Christian is suffering. Before Jesus was raised from the dead, he suffered. Jesus patiently endured. And Revelation says, that's what it's going to be like for you if you belong to Jesus. See, what is Revelation all about? It's pretty much the same as the rest of the whole Bible. It's about Jesus. It's about what happens between the cross of Christ and him returning on his throne. And it's about what it means to be one of his followers. Which means that it's massively practical and helpful for us. You know, if we think about it, if Revelation was about some distant future, or if it was about baby-eating dragons, it'd be fundamentally useless for us tonight, wouldn't it? I mean, what good is a baby-eating dragon when I'm faced with a baby who just won't sleep? I'm, I'm a new dad, by the way. <laughs> now, no, what we need is to be shown how to live now. What good is the distant future when I'm copying it from my mates for being a Christian now? The fact that Revelation is actually about the life between the cross and his throne makes it so relevant and so helpful for us. And we see that brilliantly over chapters 2 and 3, which we'll look at over the next few weeks. But I'll give you a hint of it. It's up on verse 11. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Revelation was a letter written to real churches, that means they were real people, and they lived in real cities, 
and they were affected by the cities they lived in. Now, I won't go into all that now as we'll look at each city over the coming weeks, but as you read about their issues, what we'll find is that they're not so different to our issues today. And so as you read about what Jesus has to say to these churches about life between his death and resurrection and return, we're actually reading our own story and it has relevance for us today. So that's a look at Revelation. It's about Jesus, it's about time, and it's about us. Now, part of what makes Revelation confusing for most people is that it's actually made up of three genres mashed into one book. So on the one hand, it's a letter. We just talked about that. It's written to real people, and there's a real historical context. But Revelation is also a prophecy. You know, it calls itself that in verse 3. For now, though, I just want to focus on the third genre, and I think the one that trips us up the most. Revelation is also apocalyptic. And what this means is that we're getting a heavenly perspective here. It's almost like there's this curtain, right? This curtain that's obscuring our view. But in Revelation, that curtain is drawn back so we can peer into the spiritual realities that we don't normally see. See, this physical world, the the things that we see and, and experience, they are real. We don't want to deny that. But there's also more. There are spiritual realities. And John uses this language in verses 9 and 10, doesn't he? He says it up on the screen. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus was on the real island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet. See, when John says he was in the spirit, he's not saying that he was in some kind of trance state. It's not like he was, he was high or had too much caffeine that morning. No, it's just his way of saying that what he saw was true, but it wasn't physically present. You know, it wasn't just a dream. It was true, but it was a spiritual reality. John was still physically stuck on the island of Patmos, but he's seeing true spiritual realities. See, one of the keys to understanding these spiritual realities we see in this book is to recognize The difference between what is true and what is real. The difference between what is true and what is real. Okay, now I get that sounds pretty weird because in everyday conversation, they mean the same thing to us, right? But if I were to say to you after the service, wow, buying a house in Auckland really does cost an arm and a leg, doesn't it? What I said was was true, but it wasn't real. You don't see homeowners literally walking around with one arm and one leg, do you? Or if I were to say to you, I went down some massive rabbit holes preparing for this talk today. What I said was true. I did read lots of weird stuff about Revelation, but I didn't literally try and squeeze down some rabbit holes to find them. To understand lots of what we see in Revelation, we need to appreciate the difference between what's true and what's real. And while not everything we see in Revelation will necessarily be real, all of it is true and incredibly profound. A hobby of mine is reading and looking at the lore and backstory of fictional universes. You know, whether it's a video game I've played recently or or some movie series like Star Wars or the Marvel Universe, there's something really immersive to me about a well-thought-out world. But this can sometimes be a bit of a problem because often I end up forgetting the real world. You know, I get carried away hopping through Wikipedia links or my wife sometimes says to me, 
Why are you still awake? You're still watching that video about whatever you're studying. I can get so caught up and invested in this other world, I sometimes forget the real world. And you know, I think I do this more than just with a good fictional universe. I think I often do this with life itself. And maybe you do too. See, do we ever get so caught up and invested in our studies, our jobs, our hobbies, even our families, so caught up and immersed in them that we forget that this life is not all that there is? See, Revelation pulls back the curtain obscuring our view, and it reminds us that there is more going on than we just see, more than we often acknowledge. Because if we're too engaged with our day-to-day lives, too focused on what's coming up in our calendars, we run the risk of missing out what's really going on. And while our day-to-day lives are real and important, Revelation reminds us that it's all temporary, and we need to live in light of the day, we'll all have to face our maker. So, if Revelation pulls back that curtain, what do you think is the first thing that it wants us to see? Well, before, yeah, the good, good spoiler, before anything else, Revelation wants us to get right, first and foremost, just who Jesus is. This is the next point in your outlines. If you're following along, a look at Jesus. Now, I'm sure you'll all agree there are times where you don't want to mistake someone's identity. Last year at college, I heard the story of a preacher who got up to speak one Sunday, right? And as the preacher was walking down the front, a young man from the crowd, uh, from the congregation, let out a loud groan. And there was an older woman sitting next to him, and, and she asked him, what's the matter? And so the young man replied to her, this preacher, he's so dull and boring, I don't think I can last with this sermon. I'm definitely going to fall asleep just sitting here listening to him. So she said to the young man, do you know who I am? That man is my husband. (laughs) Then he said, well, do you know who I am? She replied, no. And he said, well, thank God for that. (laughs) Knowing who someone is makes a huge difference in how you act, what you say, and how you relate to them, doesn't it? That's why it's so awkward when you, when you go, put to, put, go put your arm around your wife's shoulder and then you only realize it's a complete stranger. <laughs> Knowing who someone is makes a big difference. And this is never more the case than when we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is literally the most important person in the entire universe. He's at the center of all things. And in Colossians 1, we're actually told that everything was made by him It was made through him, and it was made for him. But even more than that, in Revelation, we see that he's our end game. See, this past week for Uni Church, one of you might be here, we actually went around asking over 500 students what they thought was their end game. You know, it ranged from things like getting a great job or having the best experiences in life. The results are up on the screen. Now, None of these are inherently bad or wrong, but I want to put it to you, whether or not you end up with a loving family or leave an epic legacy on this earth, the truth is we all share the same ultimate endgame. Whether you're a Christian or not yet a Christian, every single one of us will meet our maker, and that's Jesus. And so the most important thing we need to get right today is the question, who is Jesus? And it's this question that Revelation 1 answers. 
So let's pick it up from verse 12. After hearing a loud voice like a trumpet, what does John turn around to see? Verse 12. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like, a, were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars on his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came out from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. It's a confusing picture, isn't it? What's up with that white hair and eyes that blaze like fire? What's up with this bronze feet and a voice rushing like waters? What's going on with that sword coming out of his mouth? And the question I really wanted to ask was, how did John even see anything anyway? This figure was like the sun shining at full strength. What we see here is Jesus as the glorious risen one. This amazing picture of Jesus is really just the first of some amazing imagery that we're going to see in Revelation. But it can confuse us, can't it? What does it all mean? The thing to realize is that all these images, all of them, actually come from the Old Testament. And this is another key to understanding the book of Revelation. So let me ask, who has hair white like wool in the Old Testament? God does. In Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days. Who looks like glowing metal in the Old Testament? God does in Ezekiel chapter 1. Whose voice is like rushing of many waters in the Old Testament? God does in Ezekiel 43. Who do people fall down before as though dead in the Old Testament? God in Exodus 33 and Ezekiel 11, all over the place. See, the imagery may confuse us at first, but once you have your Old Testament open, it's actually really clear. Revelation is one of those books that just gets the baseball bat of the Old Testament, and it's used to belt us again and again to make it really obvious that what we're looking at is God himself. Jesus is God. Do you ever picture Jesus like this? See, the trouble with this picture of Jesus is that he's not pocket-sized. And so this picture of Jesus is impossible to simply fit around your life. And yet, lots of people try, don't they? So many people think that they can just ignore Jesus or or make him out to be whoever they want him to be. That Jesus was just some really nice guy in history, but he's irrelevant now. That Jesus is just a crutch for others, for some, but not for others. And for others of us, they try to have Jesus as just like an add-on to life. They choose their job, they choose who they want to marry, they choose their lifestyle, they figure out where they want to live, how much mortgage they want to take on, they plan out their weeks, when they're going to exercise, when they're going to relax, what activities are they going to do, when they're going to see their friends. They make all these plans and fill up their life with all these things, and it's only after all that that they try to squeeze Jesus in somewhere. We treat Jesus like that extra pair of socks that we try to stuff into an already full suitcase. But the Jesus we have revealed for us is far more demanding than that. 
This is one spiritual reality we need to remember. Jesus is no add-on. He is the centerpiece of life itself. He's the centerpiece of the universe. And the question for us is, are we treating him that way? Every decision of our life must start and finish with Jesus. What we study, where we work, who we marry, must fit in with this majestic Jesus, the real Jesus, rather than trying to make Jesus fit in with them. Don't try and domesticate Jesus. Last year, my wife Angela and I took my son Timothy to the zoo for the first time. And I remember when we got to the lions, I remember thinking to myself, or even saying to Angela, is this a real lion or is this just an old antique rug? You know, it was far away. Every little kid was belting the glass as hard as they can. And all the adults were there longing for the lion to just do anything. Just, just move. Even a yawn would be great. So many think that God is behind some glass window and treat him like a pet cat. But Jesus is far too big and demanding for that. He's the ruler and king of the universe. And with eyes that blaze like fire, he sees through everything. And with a voice like a thundering waterfall, his voice drowns out every other voice and will always have the last word. Jesus is God himself. Now, fortunately for us, while Jesus looks massive and scary, his words are actually really comforting, and he uses his incredible power for our sake. So have a look again with me from verse 17. It's up on the screen. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. See, the incredible thing about this picture of Jesus is that he holds the power over death itself. You know, throughout human history, we've had, we've, there, have actually, there have actually been quite a few people who have been declared clinically dead, revived, and have come back to life again. And even in the Bible, there are a few people who do come back from the dead. But here's the thing. Every single one of them had a second funeral. Within, what, 10, 20, 50 years, all of them died a second time. But Jesus, he didn't. Jesus died and then rose to life, never to die again. This was not just resuscitation, it's resurrection. Jesus has conquered death itself, and not just for himself, but for us. And this is what, it me- this is what he means when he says, I hold the keys of death in Hades. He's saying, I have the power to release people from their greatest enemy, death. You know, I think this is the incredible thing about Revelation. When you're stuck in the middle of hardship and struggling, it can be really hard to trust in God, can't it? It can be hard to trust that Jesus is really in control. And at a time where Christians were were and still are getting hammered for following Jesus, God doesn't give an escape plan. He doesn't say, here's how you're going to get out of all this trouble and suffering that you're going through now. Instead, he gives us a picture of what's really going on and who's really in control. See, living with Jesus as your king in this life isn't always roses and rainbows. It doesn't always feel worth it. It doesn't always feel amazing. 
But what we need isn't to go searching for the next best thing. We don't need to go searching for some new experiences or some new teaching. God doesn't do plan Bs. No, what we need is a look from God's perspective, a reminder of what's really going on. And that's exactly what we have here in the book of Revelation. This is why in Revelation 1 verse 3, it actually begins with these words up on the screen. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. Christians all throughout history, and still today, suffer and are persecuted for their faith. Now, thankfully for us in Auckland, I don't think it's come to being stoned or, or crucified or beheaded like they were 2,000 years ago or in other parts of the world. But I think the great power in our society today is public condemnation, the public shaming of our character or reputation. And so while it might not feel like we're exiled, exiled to some remote island like John did, it can really feel that way, can't it? where our friends or family or colleagues might slowly stop wanting to talk to us or hang out with us if we spoke about Jesus too much. Revelation is a blessing because as Christians back then and still do face persecution for what they believe, Revelation is the reminder of who really does have the final say. And it's not public condemnation. It isn't exclusion. It isn't even death itself. The answer is Jesus. And Revelation is an advanced screening of his certain return. Revelation 1 verse 7, it says this. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. See, if this advanced screening is meant to be a blessing, if Jesus' return is this great hope and victory over death... Why do you think this picture of Jesus' return is described as a time of mourning and weeping and not joy? Well, I guess if Jesus is the powerful God and King of the whole earth, and you haven't been treating him as your king, his return would be a very scary prospect, wouldn't it? Revelation is a blessing because it's an advanced screening of realities that we need to know now so we can live rightly under Jesus. A day is coming where there will be a general screening, where every eye will see, perhaps too late, just who Jesus is. But here in Revelation, we get an advanced screening of King Jesus. And he's a good king, a merciful king who offers life freely if we put our trust in him. He's died your, he's died your death for you, and he's coming back soon. So trust him. And build your life on the only end game that will go the distance. And so as we hear God's word today, we've had a look behind the curtain and we've seen Jesus for who he is. The question for us is, is he your king? Do you trust him? In his hands are the keys to death and Hades. In him we can find life. He's none other than God himself. He's risen. He's ruling and he's returning. And so let's pray that we might remember this reality and trust his words all the days of our lives. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this look into look behind the curtain. And we've seen Jesus for who he is, the king of this universe. He is God himself. 
And so we think about the times where we've tried to domesticate him, where we've tried to ignore him, we've tried to fit him around our lives, and what a mistake that's been. And so as we go about our lives this coming week, help us to live for him, live for his sake, and have him at the center of all things. Please help us to do that. Help us to listen to your word, and help us to encourage one another to live for that end game when your son Jesus will come back. We thank you so much that he is offering life and we can find life in him freely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.